how are we this many episodes onto the unpretty podcast and we're still like is it recording can you hear me <laughs> are you there god it's i so feel fun. like every every day a new tech issue <laughs> we're here we're here how are you babes i'm oh i'm okay actually i'm fine i'm enjoying the freedom that life is giving us right now how are you i'm tired I literally in I was in the office today and I've been in the office yesterday and I just looked at the person next to me and I was like it's quite noisy in here there's loads of people talking mm. she was like oh my god we're just not used to it anymore I was like when I'm around people talking it's on the tv and I've made a decision to listen mm-hmm. to them talk and I was just like there's just lots of conversations I'm this is annoying me oh my god I was in a bar oh my god I was in a bar the other week <laughs> and I was getting so stressed out and it was a tiny bar. There was no more than like eight people in there. Yeah. But I was so stressed by the background noise. It yeah. was giving me actual anxiety. Mm-hmm. You're so right about we we choose the sounds that we hear. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, why are they talking? Everyone stop. Like, stop talking. <laughs> so yeah, really weird. You are listening to the Unpretty Podcast, where we explore the perceptions of beauty through the lens of Black and non-Black people of colour. So I want to discuss our girl, Naomi Osaka. Oh, Naomi. It's been really interesting watching her story this week because she's trying to fight the system and the system's almost fighting back and she's being penalised for it. In case people have been living under a rock, we are referring to Naomi Osaka's decision, well, her initial decision to not do any press interviews during Roland Garros, which is the French Open. I don't even pay yeah. attention to sport, but I've been paying attention to this right. news. And then consequently being fined, I think it was 15,000 euros. 15, um, yeah. And then due to the backlash, I think it was less than 24 hours later, she completely mm-hmm. withdrew from the competition. Yeah, yeah she withdrew, which is, a, which is a really, it's a big deal to do to withdraw Mm. and say I'm not taking the French open like it's the French open Mm -hmm. so and even so her having to put out a statement I felt was unfair that she almost has to defend herself she didn't want to do it yeah twice yeah twice she didn't want to do it and I think the second one was the one that hit the most where she was like I didn't want I didn't mean to be a distraction or something along the lines of that and I was just like oh we've all been there and actually I was um, on Twitter and mm. a journalist, um, Miranda Larby, mm. tweeted this today, which I think we can all relate to. Literally, literally, no woman of colour is surprised at the Naomi Osaka stuff this week. Mm-hmm. A, mi- a black mixed woman having her mental health ruined and disregarded by an establishment. Surely not. And then the tweet links to a story that Miranda has written for Stylist, talking about, you know the pressures that are on black female athletes yeah and for also sure. drawing reference to Serena Williams and how mm. she gets covered by cartoonists and reporters and really playing into the misogynoir but I think the relationship between women of color and their mental health is just something that is so relatable right. and you know the key thing we're going to link to the story in the notes but the key thing from that article is that um you know as much as it's not a racialized issue mental health is universal um it's not treated equally and I think what we've seen by you know our friend Piers Morgan or not friend don't want to be associated with the guy (laughs) I was Um, gonna say he ain't my friend (laughs) 
<laughs> no, <laughs> my friend. <laughs> but yeah, the way that he continually questions, you know, first we saw him questioning Meghan Markle's um, yeah. claims, he's saying. He calls yeah. them about her mental health and now Naomi Osaka. Listen, his tweet yesterday, I don't even go on Twitter that much, but he tweeted and it mm. came up on my Twitter where he was like, you're telling me I'm against black female artists and it's a picture of him and, um, and Serena. Serena. But I just remember being like, oh, you're doing that. I have a, I have one black friend thing, so I'm not mm. racist. Cool. We're, we're, after all the year we've had, we're still doing that. Like, that's fun. That hasn't oh. ended. Yeah, I don't know. Just frustrating Honestly. more than anything. But yeah, per Naomi, I hope that it hasn't done more detriment to her mental health than it's done good. 100%. And huge, huge respect to her mm. for prioritizing her mental health over her yeah, job. Fighting the which system. Which yeah. I think more of us need to do. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Chi, what's on your buy list this week? Oh, um, oh my God. Well, obviously, as I said, I've been out on the streets. But I <laughs> dropped by TK Maxx. Mm. the other day because one mm. of my friends was like you need to get yourself to tk maxx the beauty buys in tk maxx are insane and i actually mm-hmm. managed to pick myself up quite the bargain i have to say from mm-hmm. this works it's the no wrinkles extreme moisturizer is it nice so, have you used this works before i've used a lot of this works before but i've never used the moisturizer because it actually retails at 50 pounds um which is a lot for a moisturizer Wow. But at 20 quid, I was like, I'm going to yeah, drop ouch. the cash. The great thing about this is actually it's an old formula that actually includes retinol. Mm. Um, and I don't know if our listeners will remember, mm. but, you know, rewind back to our episode with Dr. Iwoma and Jules Von Hepp. And Dr. Iwoma recommended retinol yep. as a treatment yep. for hyperpigmentation okay. and dark spots. Um, so I'm actually yeah. very thrilled mm-hmm. to have found this. Um Obviously, the key thing with retinol is if you're using it, you gotta wear SPF. Gotta wear SPF. If you are in London, listen to this. It is suddenly boiling. You gotta wear SPF. <laughs> Just keep doing it. I mean, I've been wearing SPF inside. Have you? Yeah. I'm, I'm not risking it with this retinol, I'm telling you. And also, the sun comes through, like the rays come through the window. Those UV rays, we've got to protect ourselves. Good for you. And just to say on my end, I just got delivered a package from Estrid, which is the vegan blade brand for razor blades. And in the package, it has a vegan body lotion and vegan shave cream and vegan body oil. And i got to say, after we finish recording, I am jumping in the shower. So I will report back on this goodness. I love that it's sustainable. It's vegan. It's really easy to use. I already have a blade and it is so dreamy. So yeah, excited to use this whole whole box of goodness. Their branding is beautiful. Amazing. It's all just very lovely branding. So you'll have to tell us how that works out. Seriously, we need to get into this episode because of all the unpretty episodes, I don't think we've laughed this much. Oh, this was, I love this episode. Yeah, hysterics, right? Like literally from start to finish. Yes, about a very serious topic. Yeah. I suppose it was between this one and the fetishization episode. Again, a very serious topic. This episode features our most requested mm, guest mm. ever. <laughs> so we're really happy to have her on. Yeah, for sure. Guys, 
it's a funny one so sit back and enjoy you will be laughing in the same way we were um let's yeah. get into let's it let's get into it so joining us today we have Kalechi Okafor. Kalechi is an actress, director and public speaker. She is also the founder of Kalechnikov Fitness Studio, which celebrates inclusivity and sensuality in all its forms and is the host of the Say Your Mind podcast. And we also have Don Butler. Don is a British Labour Party politician and has been an MP for Brent Central since 2015. She served as the Shadow Secretary of State for Women and Equalities from 2017 to 2020 and appeared on British Folk's 2020 list of 25 influential women. Welcome, ladies. Welcome. Hey. Hi. Nice to join you guys. Lovely to be here. So the first thing we like to ask our guests at the very beginning is how do you identify yourselves ethnically and culturally? I'm Nigerian. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, as much as I have a British passport, as far, as far as I'm concerned, I'm a, I'm Nigerian. But at the end of the day, I think even that in and of itself is a British creation, isn't it? Mm. So it's a tenuous mm-hmm. one, which is why I tend to kind of go with um, I'm just a baby girl because I don't know if you can get a passport. I don't know if you can get a passport for being a baby girl, but I, it's so hard to identify with one thing specifically, but I do feel like I'm more aligned, I guess, to saying that I'm just Nigerian and everything mm-hmm. else is just a mess. Mm. <laughs> and Dawn, what about you? Um, so I think it's easier for me to tell you what I'm not offended by. So you can call me black. You can call me a woman of colour. You can call me Dawn Butler by my name. Uh, you can call me African. You can call me African Caribbean. Uh, all of those things I'm cool with. Uh, all right. Yeah. So I would say, yeah. I like that. We've actually both, we've never had either of those responses, which I really enjoy. <laughs> I'll tell you what you can call me. <laughs> um, solid. Dawn, you mentioned in a previous interview that the relationship with your hair changed when you watched the Malcolm X film in the early 90s saying it's the most liberated you've ever felt about your hair is this when you started to wear your hair in locks oh no I had my hair natural for many many years but yeah that film was kind of a turning point I remember watching this scene and I can't remember who it was um but one of the guys had their hair relaxed and it started burning him you know it was really really burning and he went Mm -hmm. and he started flushing his head down the toilet you know to get the water in his hair to wash out the relaxer and I was laughing and then I thought but hang on I remember them times in the hairdressers where you're tapping your, you know, tapping your yeah, head where it starts yeah. to burn you a little bit and you're thinking, how long can I take the burn? And I'm thinking, why would we do this to ourselves? Mm. You know, why would we burn our scalp? You know, what what is that about? And that was kind of a turning point for me where I was like, okay, I'm not going to relax my hair anymore. And then I start to wear it natural and then, you know, protective hairstyles, lots of plaits. And I've never worn a weave. I wore a wig once. I was talking to my friend about this the other day and I forgot I was wearing a wig and I got really hot and I thought it was a hat <laughs> and I took it, I took it off. Then I put it back on sort of lopsided because I thought it was a hat. And, and, I remember when I got home, you know, a friend was calling, oh, are you okay, Dawn? You know, somebody saw you walking through Walking Stone Market with a lopsided wig on your head. So that was kind of, that's the only time Amazing. I ever wore a wig. I mean, I always wanted to locks up. And then I remember having this big debate with my parents, you know, 
Jamaican parents and they sort of brainwashed into thinking that Rastafarians were bad people mm. and I remember having this argument with them to say actually Rast- if it wasn't for Rastafarians it wouldn't be liberated as we are now and actually they are the most liberating force and you know when people talk about sustainability I say well Rastafarians are the most mm. sustainable people on earth you know they mm-hmm. eat what they grow and so I remember having this debate and argument with them but I wasn't sort of winning the argument you know with my parents at 16 17 18 kind of thing and then actually I mean my dad died and 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 I just went and got my hair locked and mm-hmm. it was very liberating empowering it was a sign of self-love and self-care mm-hmm. and and I've never looked back and I just think you know everyone should just be in love with their natural hair I mean it's meant to be it's so funny that. that you say that because Priya's recording we're chatting to Kalechi about her very recent decision to micro lock her hair and you said a very similar thing, didn't you, Kalechi, about what you'd heard from other people who had made the same decision and gone through the same journey? Yeah, everyone. I've been thinking about getting microlock for years and I kept putting it off, kept putting it off. And every time I'd bring it up, somebody would go, uh, it's the best decision I've ever made. I love myself so much more. I just love seeing myself. I love what I can do with my hair. And, you know, I just love that. I love the freedom and the liberation that they seem to have, but more the passion that they suddenly had for themselves, just appearing in their natural state. Mm-hmm. And while I feel that in many other facets of my life, I just knew that the kind of journey that I've had with my hair, it's been natural for years. I just knew that I wanted to do this because I've shaved my head numerous times, but I've always come back to just whenever I look at women with locks, I'm just like, you just look so godlike. That's to me what God looks like. And Mm -hmm. that's what I want. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it wasn't a difficult thing for me in terms of doing that. But you know, there were times when I'd always be in my wig. So I guess like between 2000 and I'd say 15 to 2018, my signature look, if you were to see me on the internet and all the twerk workshops and things that I would do, all the speaking events I would do, I would always have like my signature, like curly afro, like big hair. Mm -hmm. And everyone loved it. But then I just got to the point where I was just like, I take it off and I like what's underneath it, you know? And I'd want that to be the clearest representation of me. I wouldn't want someone to kind of see me on road one day and be like, rah, is that (laughs) Kelechi? What happened? Because you, and especially when you're dealing with non-black people, mainly white people, somebody's always asking mm. me about oh my god you know what happened you know nothing happened I just took my wig off <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so it was from then like from 2018 I was just kind of done with it but I'd wear it for like performances when like whenever I need to and stuff I love having locks I mean I've only had it for a couple of weeks now but it's because I've been thinking about it for so long and I've done it I just feel free so I love that Kalechi, would you say there's a defining moment kind of like Dawn had that changed your relationship with your hair? No, I think like it was, it's always been incremental because I was born in Nigeria and I came to England when I was five. And my earliest memories of Nigeria was actually me being at the hairdressers and then putting relaxer on my hair. And my mum came to um, Britain before she sent for me Mm -hmm. so that it was my dad and my grandmother that were like looking after me. So I'd stay with my dad sometimes, but mainly I was with my grandma and my mum's brother. And I just, why do I remember that? Like, why is that one of the main memories that I have of I can smell Eforiro, which is like a spinach stew being like cooked somewhere, you know, like when they cook outside, I can smell that and I could also smell burning. Mm, oh God. You know, like, so, so I just remember that. Mm. And, and I was, so if I came here when I was five, that must've been like when I was like four, mm. you know, them times. And yeah, I just, I, I've always thought that it was just painful to kind of go through this process 
And it got to a certain point around 2010 that I thought, I don't want to, I don't have to do this. You know, when you just realize like, I don't have to do something. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so I just yeah. stopped doing it. Yeah. I mean, I know there's some people who have relaxed hair and they love it for themselves and they say that, you know, it's healthy and they're happy and I'm happy for them because we, you know, we're all autonomous beings. But for me, I don't even look at relaxer and be like, I'm not interested. I'm not, I'm not curious mm-hmm. as to my, what my hair could be like with that, with that manipulation. It's not interesting to me. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a very good point. Yeah. And it's wild that you got your hair and actually just in shock that you got, you were getting your hair relaxed pre five. But it was so, to me, I think so like, it's damaging. just so normal. Yeah, but it's so it's so normalised within mm-hmm. our culture. And like, you go to one of the um, African hairdressers, you know, specifically the, the Nigerian aunties that I'll go to, like in Peckham or something. And the moment they see your hair, they haven't even touched it. They don't even know what it actually feels mm-hmm. like. They're going off just what it looks like. Mm. And they'll go, ah, darling, maybe we'll put a little relaxer to, to just soften mm-hmm. the hair. You don't even, it's soft. You don't need to do that. It's actually soft, mm. but it's, yeah, who are we making yeah. our hair? easier mm. for and why does my hair need to be easy yeah like, yeah mm. it's what it is. so you didn't even use hot comb they went straight to relaxer what? relaxer they'll, they'll suggest it straight away and also they can charge you more it's very entrepreneurial of them um Kalechi, can you talk to us a bit more about the halo collective because we know that you are one of the signatories yeah the halo collect i just think it's a brilliant initiative because we know that there's the crown act that's in california mm-hmm. and so we do need something that protects black people in this country from being discriminated against for their hair just literally their hair not even a hairstyle just their hair yeah. and so when i was approached about it i just thought instantly i said yeah i want to sign up to this i want to sign i want to be one of the people that kind of speaks up about this because i've written articles for like different publications over the years i think maybe one of my first ones was in 2018 about Chikazia when he was told that he couldn't have locks you know his school wanted his lock shaved off mm-hmm. and I just remembered that and I just thought about how the over policing of our hair as black people is just another tool of white supremacist patriarchy just to just stop us from existing wholly if you can refract our personhood then then we just have less ability to to fight back and to speak out so the halo collective is important that's our crown in Yoruba spirituality and cosmology we talk about the ori your chi residing at the top of your head so anything that you're trying to do for me regarding this area you're clearly trying to control me yeah yeah, so having something like the halo collective is our way of protecting the literal hair and also like our spiritual head as i see it yeah it's a very good way of putting actually there's so many stats on the halo collective website retained afro hair in school one of four black adults has had a negative experience at school in relation to their hair texture and 58% of black students experience name calling or uncomfortable questions about their hair. With that in mind, can you remember any stories of your school days? I mean, I, I feel like I grew up in Northern Ireland, so for me it was just, it was wild. Mm. You know, of course there's always the the touching of your hair to me it's not always a negative experience sometimes mm-hmm. people are do you know what I mean like it's you know sometimes it's like rarely, yeah you know there's the let's take the piss out of somebody experience where they say well how early do you have to get up to do your hair and you go well you know you know every day takes me about three or four hours you know, and they really think that you do your hair three or four hours every morning so you know there's that kind of thing where you just sort of laugh I remember having this argument with my friend where she said and this is a friend. Nobody will take you seriously if you have natural hair. What? And was, yeah, was and that she was a friend. Black or white? No, no, she's black. Oh, okay. Oh, 
Oh. I'm not surprised. Yeah, and the thing is, is that, especially when you're often in white-dominated spaces, mm-hmm. you know, and you try and mould yourself to fit into that space instead of accepting that you are different, so you're going to stand out regardless. So if your whole mentality is about trying to conform and fit into a space, then you will think that. And so she wasn't the only one, but, you know, that was the biggest and deepest argument that I had, trying to convince her that if somebody can't take me seriously because of my hair, then there's something wrong with them, not with me and my hair. Um, So so that is the situation. That is why we do have to educate people and we have to educate society because you shouldn't be judging us by what our hair looks like. You should be judging us on what we do and what we say. This conformality where you have to conform to a certain stereotype of, of what is acceptable and what is beautiful, you know, is the reason why at the age of four, you know, Keshi's mom's getting her to, to, to relax her hair, <laughs> yeah. you know, because they're like, they're going to accept you more. They're going to say you're pretty. Well, you're pretty mm. with an Afro, mm. you know, so you're true. pretty if you're a good, you're pretty if you're a good person, you're pretty. Yes. What's wild about it is it is actually such a basic thing to say. Mm, you should just that. be judged on who you are and not your hair. Like it yeah. seems so basic. Like yeah. this isn't rocket science any of this information mm. it is the fact that it's so simple isn't it it's, it's that that's that's literally it but when you exist within a black body even the most simple things become politicized and that's the issue mm-hmm. that's that's to me you know like we know that tony morrison talks about the very real function of racism being distraction you know and one of the other things that i remember her saying was that um you know, one of the most destructive things that we've been given as a society or has been inflicted upon us is the idea of romance and also the idea of beauty because, you know, literally everything is beautiful, you know? You just have to decide whether you see it or you don't see it. But when that... um, when it comes to blackness it has to be politicized and then using whiteness as a metric as the benchmark and then you put mm-hmm. us next to it right. like that's when everything becomes so fraught and and so difficult we also know that there are stats that when people do go to interviews they're less likely to get it if they show up on the, with their natural hair yeah, look at yeah. how we've memefied mm. that on social media that we go oh during my probation period you'll show a picture of yourself with the wig and <laughs> after probation period mm. you put your hair yeah, yeah. out because then you're going to show up as your true self they can't fire you now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well they still can mm-hmm. but um, you know it's that mm-hmm. kind of idea that you're very very careful <laughs> about how you present yourself because the whole point of it is you need to make sure that within this white society you make everyone feel comfortable and not threatened by you even though you're not a threatening person but your mm-hmm. your blackness is inherently exactly. threatening Yeah. Um, so therefore your hair is as well oh my god mm-hmm. I remember um, I know we're, we're talking about work now but in my last, in one of my jobs, sorry, I'm not going to specify which job it is, um, <laughs> in case they're listening, they're definitely listening. Um, but I was interviewing for this job and I had braids. And then I had, I think, a two month notice period from that job. And so then I went on to the next job. Um, I had a two month notice period from my old job. By the time I started my new job that I'd been interviewing for with braids, I had an afro. And I remember arriving on the first day and the way that the woman who greeted me like looked at me i remember just thinking huh would i have would i've got this job if i was interviewing with my hair like this cuz i don't actually think that i would mm. Mm. yeah it's, a, it's the truth it's the reality and it, you know it's that sort of lack of uh, understanding and i don't you know i don't 
you know, I don't blame or condemn anyone for, uh, you know, code switching mm-hmm. and doing what you need to do yeah. to yeah. make a living and, you know, uh, survive in a space. But I'm just saying that we have to move the conversation forward. Yeah. And, and this is how we do it, by talking about it. Because actually, we talk about it, but in little silos. It's never really been a public debate or conversation. You know, and now yeah. it is. People are surprised. They're like... Huh? What? What? You're like, yeah, exactly. So the more we make people aware of it and talk about it, the better it's going to be for others sort of, you know, coming up behind us or, you know, just now wanting to wear their hair a certain way. Yeah. 100%. Sure. I suppose we haven't really talked about your experiences at school, Kalechi. In school, my hair was, you know, I would say like my hair was a mess in terms of like just all the things that I wanted to try and make it do that it was not going to do, mm-hmm. you know, and not having enough education around hair and my mum not being, you know, having healthy habits with her hair. So she didn't really know. So it was just like all the time, go to the hairdressers or go to one auntie to plait your hair and to do this. So I got used to, oh, the auntie will say that you need to put a um, relaxer or the auntie will need to use a hot comb so you get burned behind your ear. Mm-hmm. And I always just thought it was interesting as a black girl, just like all the things, even while I was kind of immersed in it, all the pain that one has to endure just to have something mm. that, you know, so other people can call it attractive. And I hated the strain on my scalp, you know, when you have the br- the plaits done mm-hmm. and everything oh. else. And the thing is, what Nigerian mums think looks sick, it's not the same as when you get to school. Oh my God, did you ever have this sort of thing? I love a Fred now, but then my uh, mum would want to send me to school with Fredded hair. I'm just like, just send me back to the village then. Just send me back to the village. <laughs> that's clearly what you, that's what you want from me right now. But there was one hairstyle called Patewa, which is to clap your hands. And it literally looked like that. So it'll be at the top of your head. Like, like everything will gather in the middle. And my mum was like, ha. You're going to do patewa. It's going to look really nice. And then they they did their hairstyle on me. And then I went to school and I remember one white boy walking past and going, you look like Elvis Presley. (laughs) (laughs) That just stuck in my mind because to my mum, it was just like the prettiest hairstyle. And then the boy comes over and he's like, you look like Elvis Presley. And another one comes and he's like, you look like a shark. (laughs) Kids are so cool. Oh my God. (laughs) I'm laughing at it now, but year five me, me in year five, Mm. I just, I was mortified. But you know, it's, it's just one of those things that's, you know, now... I would probably do those hairstyles and be like, of course, that's what I want to do. It's Afrocentric. I love it. Yeah, yeah. That sort of thing. But just the things mm. you go through, just the lack of understanding when you get to school and how it differs mm. from what you, the understanding that you have in the home, that was what always what was tough. So sometimes you just want the simplest hairstyle mm-hmm. just so you can get by mm. so no one would ask you anything. And you don't want that. You don't yeah. want shame attached around your hair. You don't want that trauma mm. attached around your hair. And I think many of us now... We're, we're kind of unlearning that and trying to kind of sure. extricate ourselves from all of those kind of narrative and it's a journey mm. yeah mm. you're right it is just a journey I just when we were doing our research Dawn you you mentioned in previous interviews that you were told that you need to have straight hair in order to be taken seriously and we mm. love that you were like you know what I'm gonna wear my locks and I'm gonna wear them proudly because I I was in the fashion industry I've been a stylist for gosh like 10 years and there wasn't a day that I didn't straighten my hair to the point where I would take straighteners in, re-straighten my hair in the oh. toilet. Because oh I was God. just like, whenever one of the girls sitting next to me would be like, 
oh, your, your hair is like a bit fluffy. That was like, for me, it was like a trigger. And I was like, oh. yeah, okay. And I would like race and straighten my hair. Because mm-hmm. I knew in the fashion industry, if you didn't have poker straight hair, it wasn't going to work. And I wish reading when, when we read that, I was like, oh, I wish I had the guts to sort of be like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Oh. Have you faced any challenges along the way from people sort of, you know, comments and assumptions about your hair when you did have locks in the workplace? Oh yeah. Um, all the time. I mean, you know, people are still shocked. You know, they're shocked that, mm. you know, I rock up as an MP and I'm black. They are mm. shocked that I'm a woman. And then they're shocked mm. that, you know, I have natural hair. Mm. You know, so all of these three shocks in one place, sometimes you just have to wait for a while while they go through the process of being shocked. <laughs> and then they're back in the moment. Okay, you're with me now. But I mean, my mum stopped talking to me for 24 hours when I got my hair locked. Wow. It was quite funny. So I had to pick my uncle up. And then uh, we went round to my mum's and I was spending the night at my mum's and I, she just looked at me and she just wouldn't talk. And she just didn't talk oh. for 24 hours. It took her 24 hours to kind of get over the fact that I got my hair locked. But um, she's fine now. Now she tells me when it needs redoing. Your hair needs redoing. <laughs> <laughs> I think we also need to understand that our hair is very, very powerful. Even the process of us doing our hair is powerful. You know, mm. remember, you know, Black women were at the forefront of the revolution and the struggle. You know, we maps were plaited into our hair to tell people where to meet, where to go. You know, that time that you sit down and you have your mum, your auntie, or you're plaiting your brother or your uncle's hair, you know, that's an hour of quality time that should be quality time together. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to start sort of understanding and embracing that and saying, right, this is going to be our time, you know, because our hair is completely powerful in so many ways, even just, you know, even just the process. It's very true. Also, it's (laughs) ironic you being an MP um, and being criticised for your hair when the man who runs our country cannot even comb his hair. Mm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Can you imagine that's that's you know that's factored in and considered okay. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. can can you imagine if if I turned up to Parliament in an equally messy hairstyle, what people would say about me? Yeah. All these yeah. difference of standards. It's like you know, if it's okay, then it's okay for everyone. If it's okay for the Prime Minister to to not comb his hair and have that messy hairstyle because that's his trade look, it should be okay for yeah. anybody mm-hmm. to go in and have a trade look that way. Absolutely. You know, let's just have. Fairness across the board. For sure. Absolutely. Diversity and inclusion is the buzzword in, you know, recruitment and in the corporate world right now. Just about the Halo Collective. I know we've kind of touched on it before, Collective, but is it enough for a corporation or a company to adopt the Halo Code or is there more? Yeah, I mean, there's always more. And I think that the Halo Code is just the beginning. Like Dawn says, like we're starting to have these conversations, mm-hmm. right? So it's the mm. beginning of something. But at the end of the day, it's just one measure. It's just one kind of facet of a kind of multi kind of prismic thing that we're kind of dealing with, mm-hmm. right? You still need to get to the very core of all of these um, corporations and institutions and dredge up the institutionalized and systemic oppressions that that they are built upon before we can actually say that, yeah, yeah, we've got change. So having this, having the Halo Code is great, but that's not going to change the mindsets of people who are already well, well kind of like, um, who have internalized all of these other things mm-hmm. and narratives about black people and black hair and things like that so when I think about 
I'm I'm glad, like I said, I'm glad that we're doing it. I'm glad that we're having the conversation, but way more work needs to be done by corporations. But I just wonder how they'll do it in a capitalist society when they still want to make a profit, like Mm. a business wants to make a profit, right? And the way that they do that is that somebody's going to have to be working for somebody and, you know, it all goes from there. It's odd. It's odd. Yeah, it is an odd one. We're going to circle around to the woman that we wish was on this podcast as well. We wish was on this episode as well. (laughs) Unfortunately, there can only be one or the other. We're going to talk about Sally in HR. She is unbelievable. Um, and obviously, she's received criticism for her betrayal. Of course she was going to. Why did you decide to highlight the racial microaggressions in the workplace through a fictional, humorous character like Sally? Like, what was the thought process behind her? Well, my brother showed me that I can make, like, these moving emojis on the iPhone. And I was just like, well, <laughs> that's great. I can be literally any character I want. So I created <laughs> Sally. She had to have the asymmetrical bob, mm. everything. Just had to, she, she, she looks like an amalgamation of everything sort of person I've had to deal with throughout my life you know my professional life before I was just like you know what I'm not built to work for other people it's not going to work I have to just do this by myself but the years I would temp so temping actually allowed me to work in lots of different places and see um, what the cultures were like and obviously as an actor one of the main skills that you really rely on is observation so I'm really good at kind of like observing people and then imitating them and so I would notice the kind of narratives that would surround black people in the workplace and how some black women will try not to talk to other black women because when two black women meet somebody's going to have a problem somebody's going to have something to say Mm. and that was tested out one day I was working um, as a receptionist in one um, organization And this black woman who I would always kind of like send her calls through and she'd always look sick. Like every day, dressing was on point, hairstyle was on point, just looked bad. And so one day she walked past and I think she said something about the shirt that I was wearing that she liked it. I was like, oh, thank you. Literally the only conversation we have ever had. A white woman walks by, she Mm. sees us talking in just that split second. She goes, oh, oh. The trouble too, some have gathered. <laughs> the, tr- the trouble what? <laughs> but it was just it was just that whole idea, like, and then you know, we kind of looked at each other and like this is why we don't talk, you know, mm. this is why we just we just leave it because yeah. all of this stuff starts happening. Say but nothing. we don't we actually you want to go the other way, you want to start talking um to people. So I just thought about that. Um thought about the fact that I'd always wanted to kind of make an office, you know, like the office, I'd always wanted to kind of make another version of that, that kind of showed the workplace through the BAME, as they would call it, um, lens, like what we see when you're non-white in about these workplaces. But Sally was just a great place to start. And obviously her first ever episode was going to be about hair. Cause I remember my friends talking about the fact that they'd go to work I'm the only black person that works here in this department. Mm. You know it's me. But the moment mm. they change their hairstylist, oh, didn't recognise you there. <laughs> didn't recognise We've had that. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, like, you don't know that many black people but you should be sure to that, you know, that, I'm, that I'm here what is, what is this so I thought that to make it a bit more absurd there are lots of micro aggressions that black people I feel like face in the workplace and we call them micro but who are they micro to mm, you know so and which true. ones are the macro yeah, ones because sure, right. you all of that um, sure. culminates within your psyche mm-hmm. and then when does it become macro all the daily micro aggressions it's like death by a thousand mm. cuts you know so 
for me, um, creating Sally is another way that I thought I'd use my anger because I'm very big on black women using their anger to liberate themselves. I'd use my anger, be creative with it as a way to kind of like release the pressure for us. If we can mm-hmm, laugh sure. about something and laugh at something, we release the pressure and then we can carry on because we can't have our mental health um, disproportionately affected by living in this kind of society and not have a way to counter that yeah yeah yeah. you're so right right. I mean look at how we've just like howled our way through you know you both sharing your childhood trauma (laughs) 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 so hair is not specifically mentioned anywhere in the 251 page equalities act of 2010 um which to us is completely wild I suppose that's why you know things like the halo collective are pushing for the uk to adopt something similar to the crown act that we've seen in california dawn as the former shadow secretary of state for women and equalities what kind of things do you think that parliament and our government can put into place to actually you know make some change Mm. one of the first cases in regards to hair discrimination um, I'm not quite sure if it's the same ones. I can't remember the the young man's name now at school, where he was sent home from school because his hair was in locks. Was the case that I helped to bring to the courts, and and I remember we won that case. Um, and so hair discrimination is a big thing. I was doing some investigation into this. So in order for the law to change, we'd have to put forward an amendment to the legislation, but the legislation isn't coming up for any amendments. You can't just add an amendment to the legislation. Right. So it's quite complicated. You can try having your own bill. If you get if you get picked, you can have like a private member's bill. It's a very valid point. Like on the surface, you think, mm, well, hair legislation is that, you know, one of the most important things to put on the face yeah. of the bill. When you think about uh, gender pay gap, ethnicity mm-hmm. pay gap, you think about all of those things that we're still fighting for. You think, right, okay, where does hair come on a, on the list of, you know, and the list of discriminations? But when you think about it in the context, in the context where if you are discriminated against, it's like your name, where we're talking about having blind named mm-hmm. applications, because if you have a Muslim sounded name or an African sounding name, you have to put in 10 times more applications, you know, on identical CVs to get interviews. Mm-hmm. You think all of that is part of the discrimination process. So there's lots of things that have to be done around that. I suppose it's it's imperative because it not only affects, you know, someone's progress throughout their their education system if they're being excluded from school, but it also potentially affects their employability. 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 So it might feel like such a like minor thing when we just say it's just her but it has a potential significant impact on the longevity mm. of someone's career and progress mm. through life yeah because then you've got to say well how do you prove it mm-hmm. so how would you then prove it it would have to be taken through the courts yeah because it'll be denied at work right so then you'll have to take mm, it through right. the court. so there's all of that consideration but there's a lot of thought that needs to go into it but I think it's something that should be considered and why not anything that helps to level up anything that helps to ensure that we dismantle sort of structural barriers Mm -hmm. we should do it there shouldn't be anything that stops that from happening so then that's I guess well that's in parliament and that's the higher powers that be but for I guess the commoner the normal black person or even non-black person um how can they contribute 
to enforcing long-lasting positive change? Like, what what's the very simple, basic things that they could do? Well, I think like the stuff that Kleshi's doing, and you know, ensuring that we raise the issues, we talk about it. That's the you know, that's one of the good sides of social media, right? Mm-hmm. When you can highlight something, you can name and shame an organization or a company where they have to say, well, no, we didn't we didn't sack you or demote you because of your hair. You know, you can sort of name and shame. But but we do have to get to a stage where it's not about individuals taking it forward. It's yeah. it, it's something where there is protection. Sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's a, it's, it's a lot to consider to how we can make it happen. But as I yeah. say, naming and shaming, talking about it, having conversations about it, making it a reality, finding allies in the workplace, all of these things helps and matters. And push for uh, Kalechi to keep doing Sally in HR. Mm. <laughs> you yes. cannot stop doing Sally in HR. I mean, there's right. been, I have been howling. I think somebody sent it to me once and it was just, I was in such an inappropriate place. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know and I'm like, it was bad. It was bad. You cannot stop doing Sally in HR. You cannot. You must not. No, no. I'll, I'll, I'll bring her back. I'll bring her back. I'm always just trying to, because you know, everything's just been a lot for everybody recently. So mm. I've just been trying to think, think about where she can kind of fit sure. in mm-hmm. and stuff because everyone's feeling things. But it's funny that we find Sally funny because we recognise her. Mm-hmm. And I've, um, sure. you know, I've done qu- quite a few um, anti-racism like workshops and keynote speeches and stuff with like pol- the police and like the police academies and things like that. And part of my w- workshops, I will play one of these skits and I'm always I always find it funny when different organizations but especially the police like they watch it and they're like hmm huh so you know they're trying to spot the comedy because to them it's just like I do that so, so what are you trying to say and, and, and I do that and I'm just like Sally's funny but this is not because if you're mm. mixing up people in the workplace, you're mixing up Tunde and mm. Jamal in the workplace, and you're um, and then you're putting different pictures on the website. What about the race relations officer who got tasered? You know, mm. and they were about to taser him again because they mistook him for a local drug dealer because he had locks. Right. You know, things like that. You know, those things are happening. And when I bring that up on the screen, they're like, whoa. So the things that, again, we, you know, we talk about being microaggressions, mm-hmm. at what point mm-hmm. do they become macro? Mm-hmm. Because that same mm-hmm. um, mixing somebody up for somebody else just due to their blackness and their hairstyle mm-hmm. and whatever is also what's getting other people, um, you know, assaulted. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's showing them the different ways that these things mm-hmm. can play out and how it's not mm-hmm. just an innocent faux pas when you mix mm-hmm. up um, Stormzy and Lukaku or when you mix up Dawn with, um, you know, another black female MP mm. like those things at some point you're going to have to sit down and ask yourself why does that keep happening because you lot don't mm. mix up each other yeah, yeah, because yeah. there are how many of and you are hundreds, and something hundreds and blood of them mm-hmm. yeah. and, and you can spot each yeah. other out and they've got the same name some of them and second name and they still uh, don't get confused yeah. I tell you but I tell you one thing that you mentioned I think I'm really trying to sort of get my head around this year as well is in regards to how it affects mental health mm-hmm. like yeah. how how all these microaggressions affects not just our mental health but you know the mental health of a young black man you know black mm-hmm. boy then black man who every time he walks out of his house you know he's thinking I'm going to get stopped by the police what does that do to that person's mental health and I just think okay. it's something that we don't consider enough yeah. but really yeah. we need to because 
you know, this world, they, they shouldn't worry about stop and search if you've got nothing to hide. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a lot, isn't it? So why don't why doesn't everybody just have their windows open then? If you're not right. doing anything open illegal, if, if, yeah, if, you're got, if you're not doing anything yeah. illegal in your house, have your windows yeah. open and your, no curtains on your door. Let's say everybody can just look and see what you're doing. You know, why, yeah. why isn't that, why don't you want to do that? Because you're entitled to your privacy. Yeah. So yeah. I think we really need to develop that a lot more because that's maybe how we get to the understanding why it's so damaging. 100%. When I think about racism, that's exactly what I think about. I think about the fact that to me, it's spiritual and it's psychological. Mm -hmm. So when we are, you know, we're looking recently at the number of young black people that are going missing and, you know, you know, that we're told that there's nothing suspicious and that's fine. All right, cool. That's what Mm. you're saying. But I'm, I'm rather perturbed by the fact that we keep finding them by bodies of water. If we are saying that there's nothing suspicious and they took their own life and things like that, can we talk about why they're doing mm. it then like what is happening right. in the day-to-day that is allowing for those things to happen and we might think that then um hair discrimination doesn't link into that but it directly links mm-hmm. if you you're telling me that my education will be somehow impacted by me having locks or me having color 1b and 33 as braids in my hair mm-hmm. i remember when i was in secondary school and my head teacher was a nun and i remember she'd come around and she say like, none of you can have braids that aren't your natural hair color. Meanwhile, Zoe and them man are walking around <laughs> with the top of their hair blonde mm-hmm. and the bottom of their hair black, looking like skunks walking around, <laughs> and they're they're allowed because it's natural for them to have black hair and it's natural for them to have blonde hair and they can have both together at the same time. But for some reason, I'm not allowed to have braids other than one B. But how is the color of my braids going to affect my learning mm-hmm. it's not but mm-hmm. your the, the school system i go um i guess kind of like it's based upon over policing every action that black children do yeah whether you're mm. kissing your teeth where you might say oh don't do that or whatever or to what what you're doing with your hair i remember in my brother's school and he went to a catholic secondary school as well they weren't allowed to have super low fades mm. they always had to have my brothers were the same hair. Yeah, and I'm just like, but why? If they want to have a low mm. fade, if they want to do whatever, why can't they do it? They couldn't have like anything shaved into their hair, mm-hmm. none of that. And there are numerous sociology books from by black people who interrogate this. And it also comes down to people being used to policing black bodies. Yeah, yeah. And it's in no way links to how smart you are or how you're, well mm-hmm. you're learning, but it's mm. just a way of reminding you that at any point you can be controlled. Yeah. And mm. what does that do to your psyche? Mm. Like Dawn was saying, and then let's look at the school to prison pipeline. Mm. You keep coming at this young boy about, oh, your mum let you come to school with braids today. Your mum let you do this today. That constant antagonization of that boy then you're sending him to detention because he wasn't listening all over here. Mm. And then you're surprised when he then ends up in oh. prison. Oh. You know, everything, we're still looking at how all, the, all of those things play out. And also the way that um, we're taught in society to dislike ourselves because of the ways that it shows up or manifests, like, um, you know, your, the shade of your skin or your hair texture, you then internalise that and then you start policing other people. So Dawn mentioned earlier, like, you can't go into Parliament looking any which way. Like, that's roughly muffly. You've got to look presentable. Mm-hmm. But who will do the policing first? I bet you yeah. it'll be black people with a jump on the internet first. Can't oh, say I might trust. not be there as well. You can't even get an email saying, Dawn, you wore that last time. What do you mean? I wore that. <laughs> 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 I mean, I wore that last time. Honestly, they're not easy. Oh my yeah, god, so true. Kalechi.
you just spat out some real bars there. I can't wait to re-listen and process it again. And, and let me just say that we need to catch up on the hair stuff and the stuff you're doing around the legislation, Kalechi. And so we will catch up offline on that. Cool. That would be lovely. Mm. That would be lovely. Excellent. Yes. Okay, so our last question is just a moment of self-reflection. And I think that, Dawn, we're going to go to you first. The question is, Dawn Butler, when did you first realise that you were beautiful? Oh, do you know what? My dad had a huge role to play in making me feel beautiful. I mean, my dad was my cheerleader before I even knew I needed one. Mm. Like, he taught me never to doubt who I am, that I'm beautiful, that I'm smart, that I'm clever. I mean, I never used to smile, right? I never used to smile. I was not a smiler. I didn't like taking pictures. Like, my family think it's hilarious now that so strangers got pictures of me and they ain't even got pictures of me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I was like, I used to think my teeth were too big, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, my dad was always like, you are beautiful. From the moment I can remember, that was my... So I've never really doubted that, you know, and it wasn't just how I looked. It was just it was just who I am as a person. You know, I started my first homework, homework club, I think at the age of seven in the back of my dad's van where I was running a homework club for the kids on the street. Oh. Yeah, so I, you know, my dad had a huge role to play. So... From a young age, you have to tell you have to tell kids that they're beautiful. From a young age, you you know yeah, you cannot yeah. you 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 must not say this is bad or or you know or you're fat or you're chubby or anything like that. You know you have mm-hmm. to shower children with love. It's mm-hmm. vital. I think yeah. it's vital. So yes, yeah. yeah. And Kalechi, what about you? When did you realize you were beautiful? I think it's an ongoing process, you know, because you know I feel like for me it was the opposite of dawn's experience where i don't think anyone ever really told me you know and and it wasn't reflected back to me and i've always been in terms of physique rather muscular so all i ever got really in school was just like oh you're you don't look like a girl you're too strong to be a girl and you're too fast and you're too this Mm -hmm. and you're too that so it's never something that really came to me and i feel like the honest impact of that is that you spend a lot of time unlearning it Mm -hmm. so i'm still unlearning those narratives but there are moments that i catch myself and i'm just like Rah, you're paying, you know, like you're all right, you're all right. But but what I love about what Dawn said, what I love about what Dawn said is that about the um homework club, you know, the back of your dad's van from the age of seven, because to me, beauty is a what you do, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's in the doing. Mm. There's only so much you can do with aesthetics and appreciating yourself and your physical being, but it's also what your output is energetically. And mm. so when I think about the impact that I have with the things that I've been doing over the past few years, that's when I feel most beautiful because that is when I feel like I'm the truest expression of myself. Yeah. I can't, mm. there's only so much I can do to change my physical appearance and who am I really oh, yeah. changing it for? Mm-hmm. But the, the yeah. beauty that I care about is in the doing yeah. of nice. what I'm doing with my life. Yeah. I love that. You know, we I used to get criticised for having big lips. Yeah, so, oh, mm. your lips are so big, blah, 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 blah. And then I remember... I can't remember when. Well, I remember having a fight at school with the Bo Derek yeah. braids. I used to fight a lot. I remember having a fight. I love that. Bo Derek braids. What are you talking about? And then I remember um, when people used, you know, when all the lip injections mm. was taken off. And I'm just like, hang on. I thought you said, you know, big lips are ugly. Mm-hmm. So why are you? So why why are you injecting your lips to make them bigger yeah. if big lips are ugly? So it's like, so you what? So the blackness yeah. isn't beautiful on black skin. 
Do you know what I mean? Our black features isn't beautiful on black skin. Is that what you're trying to say? You know, um, but yeah. So true. It's like BBL. We actually have an episode on this um, coming up. So watch this space. But we've got a a lot to say. (laughs) say. So for both of you, um, so we wrap up. Where can we find you on the internet? And what projects are you working on? And where, yeah, where can people find you? Kalechi, you first. Um, I'm at Kalechnikov. Um, that's just on Instagram and, and Twitter. Um, got my Say Your Mind podcast where I talk about all of the stuff. And I think, yeah, and I've, at the pole dance studio, I'm there uh, in Peckham yeah. at the pole dance studio mm-hmm. as well. Do you do pole dancing? Yes. She does. Incredible. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> let's have to Butler on the pole. Yes, yes. I'm not strong enough anymore. Like my legs are much stronger than my my arms. No, no, that's perfect. You need strong legs. It's people think it's upper body at first. No, no, in your beginning stages of pole, you just want to get your legs. You need your legs a lot. Everything else comes. Okay, and you know, I designed a whole curriculum to kind of get people conditioned so they can do the other things. So you have to come through now. Okay, yeah, yeah, no, I'll do it. I'm coming to you on the pool. I'm coming to you in class. I'm going to do it in my lessons. And Dawn, where can we find you? You can find me at Dawn Butler Brent, and that's the same sort of across all platforms. I'm on TikTok now, although I think I've only posted once on TikTok. So I need to kind of get to that a bit better. Um, But I'm on, yeah, TikTok, Insta, Twitter, Facebook, and it's all at Dawn Butler Brent. How much love did you have for that episode? I am obsessed with Dawn Butler. And (laughs) to be honest, I've been obsessed with her for a while. But having had that conversation, I'm now even more obsessed with her mm. and I want to go for a drink with her <laughs> slash maybe go down to Kalechi's pole dancing studio yeah, yeah. and do a session with Dawn. I want to see Dawn Butler on a pole. <laughs> Honestly, the thing about both of them together and separately is they are strong women. Like Kalechi probably is the strongest person I know on the internet. I honestly am like, Kalechi's talking. We all got, we've got to listen. Like she's got mm. something to say. She is a force to be reckoned with and in such a powerful way. And it's so liberating that she's so powerful and unapologetic about it. And then you add yeah. on Dawn, who's just like, I'm going to do what I've got to do here. Like, mm. it doesn't make me any worse at my job. I'm still great at what I do, but I'm going to stand by what I want to stand by. Yeah. To be honest, on the strong woman label, like, Kalechi is someone who has really pushed me to move away from that kind of language around black women mm. I'm sure both mm. of us can relate to the experience of people just thinking we're fine oh, because yeah. embody that strong black woman trope but yeah. one thing I have to say about both of them is that they have both been through so much publicly mm. that they've both got to a stage where they actually just don't give a fuck these women yeah. are so inspiring and actually you know it's people like Kalechi who have encouraged me to be more outspoken Mm-hmm. And so, you know, props to them. And I'm just thrilled that we had them on the podcast. Thrilled. Yeah, I just <laughs> thrilled that they both said yes. And actually, for anyone who listens to it, we literally, we had a hard stop on Dawn because she's the busiest woman, obviously, very in demand. But she just kept giving us gems. Mm. And even we were looking at the time being like, we've got to wrap this up. But Dawn wasn't wrapping up herself. No, no, no. So we were like, let's keep going. <laughs> 
So in coming to this episode, actually, one of my friends sent me a archival story from Ebony magazine in 1982. Wow. Yeah. So older than both of us. Mm-hmm. But it was called What Happened to the Afro? And I didn't realise, but you can actually read old magazine articles, not all of them, on Google Books. So we'll link to this in the episode. I'm reading this and then thinking about the situation that we find ourselves in in 2021. You know, there was one key thing that came out of it, which was that obviously there was the boom of the Afro in the 60s and 70s but then by the late 70s and early 80s as you know women were developing in the workplace etc the afro actually died as a trend I guess and big afro impeded climbing the corporate ladder which I think is something that you know we can relate to and it's wild that was in 1982 in america Mm. and you know in 2021 we're still here we're still here so true so true i have just finished reading a book called burnt sugar by avni doshi she's an american writer of indian heritage origin um and she wrote a book which was actually up it was actually shortlisted for the booker prize in 2020 and she tells this troubled story of a troubled mother and daughter relationship in Pune in India and honestly Mm. she's so sarcastic like the daughter in the book that I just felt like I was like laughing but also kind of felt sorry for her because she doesn't have this relationship she doesn't have a great relationship with her mother and she's kind of irritated that she has to look after and it's hilarious because she's like kind of irritated but also knows that she's got to do it because you know it's your mother you still want to look after her Mm. but you're just kind of a bit annoyed about her because she She's just not your person, but she's your mum. So it has its little ups and downs and you learn about India and the way they see things. And it's an easy read. It's a short book. Um, it's kind of hilarious. So yeah, I definitely recommend it. Oh, I have a stack. I'm going to call it my summer stack, even though it's been <laughs> building since summer 2020, actually. But I feel like that's that's one to add to my list. So. Add to it. I recommend. So, yeah. Cool. Well... We're at the end. So until next time. (laughs) Until next time. The Unbrave Podcast is hosted by Chi Yufuriyama and Basma Khalifa. Produced by Kadeen Bissett and Ayo Sule. Our artwork was created by Zenia Geller and soundtrack by Enoch Kolo. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, make sure you've subscribed on your chosen podcast listening platform. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, don't forget to rate us so more people can find us. And follow us on at Unpretty Podcast on Instagram and Twitter for more updates. Until next time.